0: why don't you just, you know, eat, uh, drink soda and have, have a feast because you can just compensate with some extra insulin. Uh, why don't you do that?
1: Right? Yeah. And that, you know, that's an amazing thing that point that you bring up, because when I was diagnosed with diabetes, they essentially tell you, you can eat whatever you want, as long as you take the right amount of medicine. Being on a podcast, maybe? football is too much of that. It. It's 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 but writing to me is a it's a compulsion. I was, I was one of those hard workers. That quite honestly, the fitness industry
0: and the sports performance industry has probably done a better job in looking at nutrition as as it impacts it. Welcome to the escapist corner, uh, Maria Kalikas. Uh, You can uh, help me with the pronunciation, but I I think uh, that might be something close by. Um, I got to Maria via actually a recommendation from, uh, yeah, a friend's girlfriend uh, who uh, recommended, maria and because maria has uh in some way got her to change her habits especially with the diet and um and yeah basically getting into a more of a let's say meat meat based lifestyle or with their diet and um yeah and i thought it would be interesting to uh have a talk to you know uh uh, somebody who has influenced someone that I know about and especially when it comes to this topic because so many people are let's say confused about the things when it comes to meat, meat production, when it comes to meat and health and uh, I also had uh, you know recently I had Joel Kahn on the podcast who is one is one of the biggest uh, let's say, uh, anti-meat uh, guys out there, but also kind of to lift that, those uh, arguments a bit to the, yeah, for the guys who haven't heard them t- either. So uh, welcome, Maria. Uh, uh, yeah, tell us who are you, where are you from? And uh, yeah, uh, what are Thanks. you doing?
1: <laughs> Thank you, hard and. Fit- that's how you say your name, right, Ricard?
0: You, you can call thank me Rich, Richard, Ricard, whatever you want.
1: Okay, well, you spelled it different than I'm used to, so it wasn't sure. Richard, thank you for trick. having me here. It's a pleasure to be here and to share this knowledge and information with your community. I'm very excited. So thank you again. So I'm Maria Kalikis from Canton, Ohio. And My story is relatively interesting. I began my life being very interested in health and nutrition from the age of seven years old. I had a role model who was in the bodybuilding field and she really influenced me as far as diet and lifestyle and training. So I really got into that. And then at the age of 13, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. So all of a sudden I had to have somebody tell me what I should be eating. And I've spent all this time learning about nutrition and food. So it was very interesting because it was very conflicting with what I believed I should be eating. They wanted me to eat a very carbohydrate dense diet, eat every three hours. And so I tested that out for a while, but it just wasn't helping me. And then through my life, I was still kind of following those recommendations of higher carbs. And I took nutrition classes in college and they always said, eat carbs, start your day with the carbohydrates. And I always thought, you know, you should eat not so much of processed carbohydrates, but I still, even in my diet was noticing, even with my blood sugars, that it was very hard for me to control my blood sugar, even with healthier carbohydrate sources like brown rice, which they tell you is a slow releasing carbohydrate and It shouldn't cause you problems and stuff like sweet potatoes and other carbs. So I kept experimenting. Then I got chronic fatigue syndrome and my health really went like out the window. And it was very hard to wake up every day and have energy and attend to my daily duties and work at the caliber that I was used to. And so I really had to start biohacking and learning. How am I going to regain my energy and feel good? And I thought, well, my diet is pretty, you know, it is good. I've always cared about whole foods. That's been like the number one thing that I focused on my whole life. So what is it? So I started doing a lot of research and it came down to mitochondrial health at the root of fatigue problems. And so when I started learning about mitochondria, I started learning how can you build stronger mitochondria? And one way to really supercharge your health and your mitochondria is by eating a diet that promotes healthy mitochondria. And what is that diet? A low carbohydrate, paleolithic, ketogenic diet. So I started eating very low carb, paleolithic, ketogenic, and that's been great. And then I started learning more about carnivore. So I included more organ meats, which I I grew up eating organ meats, luckily. So I wasn't too off put by it, but I started including those. And the transformation that I felt once I added the organ meats in consistently has been incredible. There's no way I could go back to eating any other way. And for that reason, I really believe organ meats are necessary in everybody's diet. They've literally healed me because I went from at the beginning of 2020, when I had been following the Paleolithic ketogenic diet for about three months at that point, my energy was still kind of bad. My hormones were off. And then halfway through 2020, I started incorporating organ meats consistently. And ever since then, my energy has been a lot better. And it's the single biggest thing that has truly changed my life. So I definitely pushed forward eating organs and eating seasonally and locally, and especially whole foods and focusing on nutrient density.
0: Yeah, Awesome. I mean, yeah, that there's a lot of things to unpack there. Um, so if we reverse back to, you know, this, uh, yeah, period where you got to know that you were diagnosed with type one diabetes, I mean, there are, uh, there are some different reasons for how you can get it, and there are more and more speculations about that being, you know, not only it's genetical, uh, but it's also talked about, you know, how maybe your your parents have been living and how that is actually also affecting, uh, yeah, your your health uh, and uh, yeah, diabetes type one diabetes. So my question to you is, um, was that, uh, did I come like totally out of the blue or did did you already have that in your family or?
1: I had no idea. No, I literally just started getting symptoms. I had, I got very thirsty all of the time. I was, it was really bizarre. I had passed out a few times and Mm. It was really the excessive thirst and urination that my mom mentioned it to my doctor because I ended up feeling like I got a cold or something and I didn't feel well. So my mom picked me up from school, I was 13 and she took me to the doctor. And then while we were there, she said, "You know, she's been very thirsty and having to urinate a lot. You think maybe she has diabetes? And so they checked my blood sugar and it was so high, they couldn't even read it on the meter. So wow. then they had to check it. I think it was through my blood or through urine or something. And it was so high, they were amazed that I didn't go into a coma. And they said, I had to go straight to the hospital. Then I went to the hospital and I was there for about three days. And you know the, the crazy thing is back then, they really didn't know a lot and still a lot in conventional medicine is really not addressing why autoimmunity happens to begin with. And as I've done even my own research, I've really learned a lot of it is. It's that, yeah, part of it's genetic. And then it's also setting up the environment in your body to favor it, to express those genetics. Mm -hmm. And with the case of autoimmunity, it all begins in your gut. So something had to have been imbalanced in my gut for me to get that. And that can be a process of 10 years leading up to you actually getting a disease.
0: Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. Uh, it's called epigenetics, right? Where-
1: Epigenetics, yeah.
0: Where you have, uh, we have different, let's say our genes are programmed uh, a bit different and a bit depending on our surrounding those genes can be turned on or t- turned off. And um, there's, uh, <clears throat> sometimes it can be easy to think about, like, no, it's, you know, everything is predestined by, um, by my genes, so I don't have to care about it, but it's actually the opposite, that the more you actually do take care of your genes or <laughs> of your diet and your lifestyle, it tends to be like, you're gonna be much more safe <laughs> or you're going to have less agony at least. Um, so um, I guess you've been tracking your uh, food and uh, your blood sugar for sure a lot the last years. Um, can, you, uh, can you tell me a bit about like your? Well, maybe we can just explain to the listeners what's like a healthy range for your blood sugar and and stuff like that?
1: Well, you definitely want fasting glucose to probably be a hundred or less. So for people with diabetes, the ranges can be a little bit higher. can be okay. Like they usually say about 120 to 130 or less. With a normal person, you'd probably want it to be really nowhere beyond 115. And the the sugar does matter on what time of day you check it, if you've been exercising, if you are following ketogenic lifestyle, because sometimes it can be a little bit higher, but it's nothing to be concerned about. The biggest mm-hmm. thing is you don't want to be spiking the blood sugar all of the time because that's not good for you, even for your energy levels. And also for your health and for your brain, because your brain will be inflamed if you have higher blood glucose. But for a normal person, you should be able for the blood sugar to go down after you eat, And you, but you still want to minimize how many spikes you have. Um, so within a couple hours after eating, your blood glucose should be in a normal range, probably 120 or less.
0: Yeah. I, um, I think last times so I've been measuring my blood sugar, which has been uh, both fasted and non-fasted. Um, sorry, I'm going to switch camera here. I see it's lagging a lot. Let's see here, one, two, three, magic button is, there we go. Um, <laughs> So the, the, the trick uh, or trick for me uh, has been, you know, also I've been doing mostly low carb for the last uh, last years and uh, maybe four years or so. But um, when I've been checking my blood sugars, they've been, you know, sub, sub 90 uh, most of the time. I never, uh, like two, two hours after e- uh, eating usually. Uh, I haven't. I haven't been checking my my blood sugar that much when it comes to, you know, when I eat a bowl of rice or stuff like that. That would be interesting, but I guess uh, that's something you have maybe done a bit more because you have those tools more available. Uh, so, how does that look like when you you mentioned like brown rice? Um, do you have any like figures or ideas where your blood sugar is when you when you've been eating rice and if you compare that to broccoli for example.
1: Right. So if you look at it it all really depends on how the carbohydrates get digested in the system and so something like brown rice is a slower digested carbohydrate so you'll see a slight increase in the blood sugar whereas with something like white rice it might be an immediate spike in the blood sugar because it's more starchy it's white it's uh much more refined so there's a lot less processing that has to be done by the body so it will spike and then it'll come down almost immediately so within right. a couple hours but with something like brown rice it can actually take even more than a few hours for it to truly get out of the system and so it has more of a slower release the entire time instead of spikes
0: okay and how, how does that look like for you uh if you would eat those
1: so like for me especially if I'm using my insulin pump, which gives me a continuous release of insulin every hour, but where I can also control how it releases the insulin. With stuff that's slower digesting, I've actually found that I have to break down my dose of my insulin into two. So instead of it giving me the full dose at the beginning of when I eat, which I would normally do because the food takes longer to process and I've noticed... It, you know, kind of, Mm -hmm. it doesn't exactly go up and down. Uh, I will have it give me half of it in the beginning. And then after two hours, I'll have it give me the second half of my dose of medication. And I've noticed that that actually helps with a lot of foods. And even with eating no carbs, protein actually gets converted in some protein actually gets converted into glucose. So even without eating carbohydrates, I still have to take insulin, but I cannot do, like a full dose in the beginning, because it's a very steady release.
0: Okay. And has your, has your uh, dosage kind of been changing, except for now that you're maybe breaking up your dosage a bit more? Do you have, uh, have you noticed any change in your amount of dosage or something like that since, you know, uh, two years ago or
1: Yeah. So the really amazing thing that I found once I converted to paleolithic ketogenic is that of course I expected to be taking less insulin because I wasn't eating the carbohydrates. So that's obvious. But the thing that was really amazing was because I also have to take a long acting insulin. I actually had to take less long acting insulin and I became extremely sensitive to carbohydrates. So I didn't require nearly as much for the amount that I was eating, which was just like phenomenal and crazy. There were even times where I would eat. And even if it was, you know, maybe 10 grams of carbohydrates, I didn't have to take any medication at all for it. Or even a little bit more because my body had become so like, if I took the normal amount, I would be dropping extremely low. So that was really like, kind of the biggest issue that I had to tweak with in the beginning of eating low carbohydrate. And it's really, it's been amazing because I don't have to take nearly as much insulin.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um, I mean, I say awesome, but maybe, maybe some people don't understand why, why don't you just, you know, eat, uh, drink soda and have, have a feast because you can just compensate with some extra insulin. Uh, why don't you do that?
1: Right. Yeah. And that, you know, that's an amazing thing that point that you bring up because when I was diagnosed with diabetes, they essentially tell you, you can eat whatever you want, as long as you take the right amount of medicine. And I'm like, okay. So I had that belief for a while and I noticed every carbohydrate affects me differently and I feel differently. And so if I eat like if I eat something like pizza and I used to really love eating Indian food, the, the Indian breads, mm. the naan with the meat. And the, it, I just loved that. If I ate that, I could expect my blood sugar to be extremely high and impossible to control. And it was all because of the, it was the combination of the, the nutrients, the fats with the protein and the carbs, but it was really just that it was very refined carbohydrates with high fat And when you eat carbs and fat in high quantities together, it is pretty much a catastrophe for your blood sugar. I've really experienced that. So I can't eat like I can't eat desserts and stuff like that unless I really want to feel terrible for the rest of the day. And and it makes it very difficult too because it spikes the blood sugar and then I'll I'll take the amount that I'm supposed to take to bring it back down to normal. But what ends up happening is that amount won't be enough. So then you take more to bring it down Then it still doesn't come down. It it literally takes forever to bring it down to a normal value. By the time it gets to a normal value, it usually plummets. And then I have a really low blood sugar problem. And then you're basically repeating a cycle of having to add carbohydrates again. And you're just all over the place with blood sugar. And when you have that, your energy follows alignment with that, like up and down, like a roller coaster
0: yeah so did your uh this fatigue syndrome have to do anything with that or it that, might that have you... a little
1: bit of an effect but it was mostly i had some toxins in my environment that i had to detoxify from and it was also the way that i was working i was very much of a workaholic and i was not sleeping enough and that was really having an effect on me and it was really a combination of things combination of kind of lifestyle and not eating enough and also having toxins in the environment
0: so how uh so how how can you keep yourself let's say accountable uh except for you know maybe it is more uh, you you discover much earlier that if you eat something bad, you actually have a reaction to it uh, that is, you know, pretty instant. Uh, but still, I would say for many, probably even still for you, that the, the reaction from you what you eat is not super instant. It's not like, a, a, you know, getting stung by a bee immediately. Like you don't just slap yourself on the wrist when you ate it. Like, oh, that hurt, you know? It I doesn't know. hurt Hurt when you eat a Snickers or it doesn't hurt when you eat a bag of chips. So um, how do you keep yourself, you know, accountable now uh, not to have a drawback or um, how have you kind of settled with uh, or I don't know, have you settled with the idea that you you, you should never eat for example, candy again or so.
1: Well, so are you talking about nutrient or not nutrient, um, food sensitivities?
0: No, I'm just not necessarily I think allergies. It, I am thinking just in general, like, uh, can you keep yourself kind of strict uh, on what you're eating or do you have drawbacks?
1: I think being strict is really not that difficult to do. Um, for a lot of people, I think they become very much emotionally attached to certain foods. So when you tell them, oh, you're going to have to eliminate bread or candy, you know, they, they might have a little upset about it. And what I like to keep in mind is that if you have cravings of, for foods or you miss certain foods, a lot of times that's because we've been inundated with all of these foods all of the time, having access to them very easily available to us at all times and these are also foods that are designed to keep you craving them and they are literally formulated by the food industry to get you addicted so i think when people want to eliminate foods like that from their lifestyle these ultra processed foods because they definitely make you fatigued and they don't make you feel good and once you really remove them for at least a few weeks and then reintroduce them, you'll notice they drastically impact your energy levels almost instantly. And they probably do give you a little bit of digestive distress too.
0: For sure. Um, how did you uh, get get interested into this kind of low carb? Uh, well, first a low carb, pale- paleoethic lifestyle and uh, then into the carnivore, how did you uh, kind of... Where did you get that inspiration
1: so it really started i took a master class on the ketogenic diet and before that i thought ketogenic was kind of like this ridiculous thing and because i was interested in learning about lots of different diets and i for my business was primarily focused on creating software that would eliminate nutrient deficiencies That's why I really started investigating in all of these different things. Cause I'm like, okay, how could I create nutritionally balanced meal plans for people if they're following this ketogenic diet? And then I was like, what are the actual implications of that? Is that actually good? Because in school, the textbook said you need 200 grams of carbohydrates a day for optimized brain health and for energy. So I'm like, this is kind of weird. So, but once I started investigating it, that's when I said, oh, I should really test this out for myself because I have diabetes and diabetes, the problems with it are highly driven by blood sugar, dysregulation, which you get because with type one diabetes, you don't make insulin. So it's only logical that you would eat less carbohydrates because with less carbohydrates, you don't have the issue. But it's not just less carbohydrates, it's which carbohydrates you eat. So by including ones that are very low sugar and ketogenic friendly, I've really been able to help you know, my blood sugar more. And really it's that I care about following a seasonal type of diet because I like to source all of my food locally. That way I can truly increase the nutrient density, the quality of the food that I'm eating. And so by doing that and being in the climate that I'm in, it was only logical to really follow more of a carnivore lifestyle, at least for the winter months.
0: Yeah. Uh, Cool. Uh, And where did you find inspiration for that? Because that's also kind of a a wildish diet for many people. Uh, I mean, uh, to just to disclose to the disclosure, I'm on my uh, let's see here. Well, it's, 38 days of uh, also a carnivore now. So, uh, and I've done that last year too. And, uh, you know, I do it because I've, it's, it simply feels good. It's, it's very simple in that sense for me that I can just um, keep myself much more uh, aligned. And uh, I don't get as hungry. I don't get, you know, as fatigue. I don't, I really don't ne- never have, you know, huge issues with uh, cravings or anything. Um, I wouldn't say it never happens, but uh, but yeah, just for the, the disclosure here. But, you know, for uh, from your perspective, how, how did you kind of, uh, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, for some people, you might end up there naturally, but uh, uh, how was that for you? Did you find any inspiration from somewhere or?
1: Yes, absolutely. So who came across as I was learning even more about diet, I listened to an interview with Dr. Paul Saladino and that's Hi. when I heard this whole concept of the carnivore diet. And even then, I wasn't fully on board with it because I thought, how can you only eat meat? Like don't we need vegetables, you know? Like you go to school and they tell you you need fiber and you need vegetables and there really aren't many doctors that say, yes, make the foundation of your diet meat only, you know, okay. they always tell you like do it plant-based and meat should be kind of like a condiment. Uh, but as I started really listening to Dr. Saladino, it really made sense to me that this actually does fit, especially with nutrient deficiencies. And that's something that I've been very passionate about for about five years or seven, somewhere between five to seven years, I've been very passionate about nutritional deficiencies. And so really learning about the carnivore diet made a lot of sense to me in the aspect of eliminating nutritional deficiencies because when you have organ meats, muscle meat, the bones and the fats of animals, you truly can have all of the nutrients that you need and you get them in highly bioavailable sources. So that means the body is easily able to convert them into the nutrients it needs, the micronutrients that it needs, which control all of the biochemical processes in our body and allow us to thrive. And so by eliminating a lot of plant foods, especially the ones that are the most toxic, which that's a concept I didn't really know or understand was that plants truly exist on a toxicity spectrum. And so eliminating the most toxic ones must be a priority and once you do that and you include the full spectrum of the the meats you can truly really thrive
0: yeah yeah uh, I think that's a good point that I think it's also something that Paul Saladino has been talking about as uh, or he has I know but uh, but he talks about also like the spectrum you know of plant toxicity. And um, I think there is something to it. And I definitely think some people have more tolerance to different stuff uh, with, you know, anything really in life, but uh, especially when it comes to plants. And you know, I, I, I have my wife, for example, every time she eats garlic, she feels like a mess like she can't sleep she's thirsty she has stomach ache she's you know and the next day she's like lethargic because she couldn't sleep and she feels still like a bit hungover almost and she's still you know the connection between those is not super obvious but she knows it is she likes to eat garlic so when she eats it it's like okay what was this too much now or not and then um, you know the same thing is with her mother. She also has that. Uh, and for me, I, I'm I'm totally have no issues with eating garlic or any of those uh, things. For example, like that doesn't affect me at all. Um, so I think everyone needs to kind of understand uh, that for themselves. So I think for me, uh, generally, like the the only thing I noticed is like taking out everything that, every type of grain has been like just really good. And uh, that has helped me with, you know, recovery um, with everything that has to do with autoimmune stuff like, um, you know, eczema and, and stuff like that. They, all those things just disappear. And also, yeah we talk about like uh, digestion and your gut and everything like you you definitely notice or I notice like if I if I drink uh, a beer or two I notice that you know in my gut and when I'm at the toilet like you can even like a very pleasant discussion here but you can really uh you can really smell the difference on yourself in that sense and uh so yeah that has been like my realization. now will I die if I eat a pizza? like no uh, it, I'm not there and I don't I'm not there where I'm you know get uh, that I get uh, uh, insulin reaction or that I'm insulin resistant uh, for example um, or uh, that, that I get high blood sugar in that sense not really uh, I'm not there yet but I I definitely know that uh, looking at science of having high insulin, high blood sugar, it's not, a, it's not only like the high blood sugar is one thing, right? So if you wouldn't uh, have your insulin, the blood sugar would basically poison you, right? Uh, and the problem is if you are putting in a lot of insulin instead to kind of take the blood sugar down all the time. Well, then you get re- insulin resistant, right? And that is kind of uh, the gateway to Alzheimer's disease, dementia, uh, some cancers maybe. So there's, there's a lot of things that come with this like insulin uh, resistance uh, package, you know? As soon as you hit that door, it's like every other door starts to open uh, so it, it's definitely not nothing you don't gain any benefit of being there knocking on that door uh, you know So right. um, have you uh, have you uh, otherwise like discovered any changes for you since you uh, you know started with more of an organ meat diet or, uh,
1: so adding in the organ meats has absolutely, it's helped my energy. It's it's really just helped me feel better. And it's added variety. And it's also really kind of made me feel more connected to the food, which I feel like a very important aspect that we often dismiss and take for granted is how our food lands on our plate. And so really eating the full spectrum the animal has really kind of connected me to that which has been almost spiritual in a sense but has also really made me grateful for the food and so i really think uh really a foundation of an optimized life is having gratitude and appreciation for what you have so being able to experience that has been really interesting you know just from that perspective. And then it's just the fact that I get so much more energy. And it's also looking at it as this is the way that humans were eating ever since we started eating animal meats. And so for us to completely eliminate these foods doesn't make any sense. It is literally programmed into our DNA to expect us to eat a certain way. And so, I mean, really what I was thinking when you were talking about your wife is a lot of these foods that we cannot really tolerate, it really comes from an ancestral perspective. It depends what our actual ancestors were eating. And then in addition to that, it's also our microbiome diversity right now. And so we always have to prioritize a healthy microbiome. And the way to do that is by eliminating the foods that destroy the microbiome, adding diversity into the diet, and so, you know, you, you might get bored eating the exact same meat every day. So when you add in organ meat, it adds different textures, different variety, different flavors. And so you never get bored and you also maintain a very healthy and diverse microbiota in your gut. So that's very important.
0: Have you, uh, did you ever, you know, try to go fully vegan or so?
1: Nope. I've never jumped on the vegan Um I, I had considered it before because I, you know, I kept hearing like, oh, it's good for you and meat's bad for you. And, uh, but I never did it. Uh, I've tried vegetarian, not kind of, not really like it was more, um, like a short experimentation, but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, uh, what do you say to people that would tell you like, but Hey, you know, uh meat is very bad for the planet and uh you know think about the environment when you eat meat
1: there's nothing bad about meat now the only problem is actually the factory farm meat the industrialized meat industry conventional meat that is not good for the environment because you have to think about it from the perspective of how the animals are living, which is completely so far removed from nature and how they should be living. They don't eat a proper species, appropriate diet. They don't live in proper ways. And so if you think about it, like, like think about it in the context of a human, like humans eating fast food every day and being completely stationary and sedentary, that's going to be a very unhealthy human, right? Like you might end up with some heart disease and stuff. And that's Exactly the case with these animals that live, you know, in these factory farms. They don't move. They're just, they're very unhealthy. And when you actually look at the science of the nutrient profile of these animals, it's not good for us to actually consume because of the omega 3 to omega 6 ratio of fats. And so, really, the way you can eliminate that problem and have healthier animals and also healthier soils and earth is by eating food that's raised on pasture or regeneratively raised. And these animals actually take the methane out of the environment. And also it's the fact that the, that a lot of people don't look at is when you are actually growing these plants, you need animals as part of the equation. There is absolutely no way you can do farming without animals. So it's only beneficial to have the animals, but to really consider how the animals are being raised. And so a lot of these crops that are grown are monocrop cultures. And these are things like the grains and the, you know, the corn, the soy. And the way these are being grown is completely out of alignment from how nature grows things. Nature doesn't make fields of one crop. And so, the way they do this is, you know, they, they add all these chemicals to it to make the things grow faster. They do a lot of genetic modification so that all of the. It's all ripened at the exact same time. So it's easier to collect. And this is actually just not good for the environment at all. And it's also having to transport animal products like manure and ground up bone and other products from animals so that they can actually have nutrient in the soil because without any of the animal products as part of the agricultural system you have no nutrients in the soil and if you want to have a healthy lifestyle and healthy diet and avoid nutritional deficiencies you must be at least getting your vegetables from healthy soil that isn't degraded and also it's the tilling and the irrigation in the soil to produce these plants that is also detrimental to the soil and actually produces more methane gas and is worse for the environment. So it's truly returning to regenerative agriculture, which is the type of agriculture that mimics nature more than anything else, because the animals, they rotationally graze the land and that's necessary because they, they walk on the land, they poop on the land, and it all is very good for the soil. You also don't want it to be where the animals just have access to one piece of land and they're continuously grazing because then it gets overstimulated and that's not good for the soil. But when they're raised regeneratively, it's good for them. It's good for us. And it's just it's a, it's a better circle of life.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, I saw a very good picture of that so you uh, what we're talking about is uh, basically monocrops right and and perennial uh, you know (laughs) vegetation and uh, the monocrops if you look at uh, the topsoil which is like the the gold of the nature right so without topsoil sorry game out life cannot be right and uh, with the monocrops you have uh, the 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 roots of the monocrops are you know basically that, that much is like you know uh, one foot or something like that two, fo- two feet two uh, depending on species and uh, when you look at the perennial uh, uh, vegetation they have you know several meters it's it's like three yards of roots going down into the soil and why this is also important is of course this kind of um well it keeps the the topsoil right so it keeps everything intact so it doesn't flow into the river and uh, when it rains it doesn't you know take all the nutrients from from the soil into the river but it actually keeps it but with monocrops you have like rain coming in and it just washes everything away and this is why you see like in these deltas where like uh, in Mississippi and Bangladesh and whatever, all these deltas where you have uh, um, all these uh, monocrops at the upper end of the river. Right at the at the low end, you have like these huge algaes and everything uh, because it brings all the nutrients from the land into the ocean, and then you have these like catastrophe of uh, yeah over overcreation of algaes and stuff like that in, in those deltas so um i mean it is i mean it's it's very simple but it's also very complicated um and i think one thing that it is very hard to get your head around is this thing of um you know one reason why we evolved as a species like as human beings is because we Got so good at agriculture in one sense because we could plan better. So we uh, we could plan and and we could have you know our, our cities and, and stuff like that, which was most likely not possible before because you had to always run after these damn animals running around. So, um, but yeah, as soon as you started with the agriculture, you could you know start planning a bit more. Uh, but at the same time, you can see kind of what happens to that. So one of the earliest you know uh, you know the the earliest areas where you had a lot of agriculture is of course in the oldest civil or old civilization that was, you know one of the most known the, the Egypts, right? So they had they were really rich and you had this like you know, incredible, a spike in engineering and everything happening but because of you know the availability of food basically but at the same time if you look at the Nile what they did was also they destroyed the entire uh, area there so now you know you have mostly desert instead of green bushes and uh, vegetation and everything because everything was uh, converted converged into monocrops and then you know you basically they destroyed the topsoil and now they have almost nothing so um it's kind of a hard thing to get your head around like would we as a species also have this kind of you know these uh riches and so on happening uh without the agricultural revolution too uh but yeah uh Those are kind of uh, things to trying to figure out. But uh, uh, so what what are you up to now, uh, like with your, let's say, newfound uh, way of living lifestyle?
1: So now I'm writing a book that encompasses diet, lifestyle and mindset for humans to return to their ancestral heritage and thrive for life is called Alpha Ancestral and I'm very excited about it. And what I'm really excited about is that we will be designing, well, we are designing frameworks but we will be working one-on-one with some people to really fine tune their needs because it's a very customized approach. And what I really want people to know is to know a framework and way to approach how they should Design the proper diet for themselves. And it's really rooted in an ancestral perspective and following the seasons, sourcing your food locally so you can stimulate the local economy, but also have access to more nutrient dense foods and foods that are less likely to be grown in terrible ways that are bad for the environment. So it's much easier to get organic stuff when it's local. It's also better for you. And even the meat that you can get at local farmers markets is pasture raised. And so they're also not using hormones and they're probably feeding a species appropriate diet. And it's much easier to actually ask and find out those answers. And so you truly know where your food's coming from. So that's part of Alpha Ancestral, what we're promoting and really healing the gut first that's the foundation for the Alpha Ancestral Autoimmune Protocol. It is the, the gut healing protocol. And so many of us have destroyed our guts because of our current modern day lifestyle. And that's that's really the birth of this Alpha Ancestral is from the way our modern society is literally killing us. It's the toxins in our environment, the extraordinary stress that we're under, that our bodies are not used to having to deal with. And so it's really bringing things back together into sort of a unity and harmony and have people thrive for life
0: yeah so sounds good so what what do you tell to to people that say like but i can't eat meat like i'm i'm disgusted by it do you how do you help those
1: I <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't heard that from people, but I actually had a conversation with someone a few days ago, um, and it was that this woman had converted from being a vegetarian for many years. When she first got into it, it was because she got pregnant, and everybody was telling her, you know, your baby's going to be healthier if you aren't vegetarian, so that was really the driver to why she started eating meat, but she was so afraid of it. She was using latex gloves to touch it and everything. So I think it's really, if you're grossed out by it, which I I can definitely relate. I was grossed out by organs at one point. It's including it and, and getting used to it really. Like you just have to touch it and deal with it and realize that what you're truly doing is nourishing your body. And so if you, you know, you love yourself, you've got to give yourself the right nutrients and the right food and know that, you know, it's going to be better for you. So you have to get kind of rid of that psychological component of, oh, this is gross. It's all bloody. You can can be a little squeamish about it, but eventually you'll get over it. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, obviously it's, it's hard to say, tell anyone to do anything that they what they should do and everything. I I always had this, you know, my approach is like, you know, if you have a problem, then your first priority is to solve that problem. Like if you have problems with your gut, then you have to try to do everything to just, you know, get, get that problem away. You have mental problems. Well, you know, you need to fix those mental problems. You know, if you have problems with your back, you need to get to the root cause of whatever is causing that. So I think, and, you know, diet is so linked to everything of that. So especially when it comes to autoimmune uh, disorders and so on. So if you have, you know, problems with your, uh, like your hormones, you are smelling bad, you're, uh, you have eczema, you have whatever kind of problems, like losing hair, you're, you don't have sex drive, you don't have, you know, if if you have anything of those, then you need to have a look at your diet and and your sleep probably and fix your sleep and then, you know, fix your diet. And what does that mean? That means in my, uh, my view, like uh, I really agree on uh, Dr. Sean Baker here is like, um the let's say the meat carnivore diet it's like the ultimate restriction diet right so you take out everything else and if you only leave um beef and and those kind of uh yeah, those kind of meats in your diet so um uh, then you're kind of in the most safest area of you know Uh, sensitivities and everything so it seems like most people uh can thrive on that at least and but maybe there are things you can add to that that makes you know makes it a bit more interesting and you know doesn't harm you that much or and so on so yeah maybe you can have you know maybe you feel good by having some i don't know if it's broccoli or some vegetables and stuff like that to your to your food, like, go for it. But if you if you start noticing, like, I can't sleep, I can't do this, I have problems with that, well, then you shouldn't eat that, probably, <laughs> so. Right,
1: exactly, and that's it. People need to truly experiment with what they have sensitivities to, because a lot of these sensitivities, they're not something like you instantly develop a rash or you get hives or you can't breathe or something. It's like the next day you might have Fatigue, or you might have bloating and extra gas problems. And like you said, like the low libido and the sleeping disturbances. And it's all related to food. And a lot of times we dismiss that and we don't think it's the food, but it really is the food. And it's also the toxins in the environment and how much stress we're under. And so, really having an understanding of all of these things and how they affect us and taking it in, like, on an individual basis, because it's not the same for everybody. So only you know yourself and your body better than anybody else. So if something doesn't feel normal to you, it's worth investigating and looking into.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, and that's what I mean. Like, don't let me tell, don't, you don't have to eat like me. You don't have to be like me, but you need to figure out what works for you. And uh, again, if you have any problems, well, then something is not working for you. And, um, um, but yeah, so when is your book coming out?
1: Hopefully this year it'll be coming out. We're determining exactly what, like what's this timeline and everything that's going to go into the book and really yeah. make all encompassing. So hopefully this year and having some virtual and in-person events will definitely be in the future as well, and a YouTube channel. And so it's all, it's all, in, the, it's all in the making. We really hope to change the world alpha ancestrally.
0: Awesome. So uh, I have some quick rapid fire questions to end this off. Um, favorite book?
1: My favorite book is actually a self-development book called High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, if you were an animal, what animal would you be?
1: A lion.
0: A lion. Uh, what superhero, uh, Marvel hero, uh, are you?
1: Yes, Wonder Woman. Is that?
0: <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm not 100 sure either. Actually, um,
1: so- about them but that's what i would be wonder woman or something there's a new one that came out but i don't know the name that but she sounded like that's the one i would be i think that oh, the yeah. most one it's a woman i'm not sure the name though yeah.
0: um okay canada or mexico mexico <laughs> okay and uh let's see here i have a last one um if you were to be a character in friends who would that be B be <laughs> okay cool um, now awesome Maria I I thank you very much for taking the time and joining uh, joining this talk and sharing your experience and uh, I hope people can, uh, you know, find some inspiration. Where can they find you?
1: They can find me on Instagram at Maria Kalikis. I also have a Facebook page, Maria Kalikis. And that's it. If they want to contact me, just send me a DM and I'll be happy to talk.
0: All right. I'll put them into the, the show notes here. Um, okay. Then uh, thank you very much, Maria. And uh, I, I wish you good luck with the book and hopefully we talk sometime soon again.
1: Okay. And uh,
0: follow your pro- progress.
1: Thank you, Richard. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Being on a podcast for me, it follows too much of it. It's interesting to this it's But writing to me is a, it's a compulsion. I was, I was one of those hard workers that... Quite honestly, the
0: fitness industry and the sports performance industry has probably done a better job in looking at nutrition
1: as, as it impacts it. For you.